Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Hello, this is Football Social Daily. Normally, we'd be looking at the English top flight, but right now we are focused on the World Cup in Qatar and England's journey through it. And the three Lions are still very much in the mix with a 3-0 win over Senegal last night, seeing Southgate and co. booking their place in the quarterfinals against France. We'll look back at that demolition in a bit on today's podcast and look back at the midfield masterclass from Jude Bellingham. Also, easy to forget that with a World Cup going on right now, it is December, the January transfer window opens soon and there's some tasty gossip being talked about ahead of the January transfer window opening including some potential attacking options for Manchester United. We'll cover that off on today's podcast as well. But as it's Monday, as England fans, there isn't a great deal to moan about right now. But we are going to start off our podcast today with our traditional Monday moan. A little bit of get in the sea action. And having a bit of a whinge to kick off today's show, we've got Marley Anderson and we've got Joel Tudor. How are you doing, boys? Good morning. <laughs> good morning. Good feeling good. We know it's coming home. We're just three games away from the streets going crazy. Oh, it does feel there's a bit of excitement building. It's been low-key this World Cup, but after the game last night, yeah. it does feel like there's a little bit of hope springing into England fans' hearts. I'm Jim Salverson, by the way. I'll be with you on today's podcast too. But let's start off with a moan. Let's forget about the positivity for now. Let's get a vent to kick off the week. Marley, what do you, have, what do you want to have a whinge about? What do you want to get into the sea? Um, I to be honest, I, d- I didn't watch that much football this weekend. Um, I was busy uh, all three days. I had a busy social life this weekend for once. Um, so I didn't watch that much. Um, up until the England game last night, I watched uh, obviously watched that. Um, but the thing that's wound me up is is a more serious one than I usually do. Usually, I moan about some sort of like relative Sunderland thing that I can find or <laughs> something random like someone's done a celebration that's wound me up or something. But no, um, the this this the Raheem Sterling thing that is is properly just made me lose faith mm. in humanity at the minute. Um, it's sickening, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, obviously, if you don't know the story, he's 
he's left um, the England camp because his his uh, home in London was burgled by armed robbers, um, and now he could miss out on, you know, the last. Uh, he might, he still might go back, but would you know? Would you want to go back and leave your family after they've just been, you know, held at gunpoint or knife point, whatever it was? Don't know, don't know the the details yet, but it's just how low do you have to be? To, to do that it's just it's so just wrong isn't it that the thing is as well like it happens all the time when um, with footballers because everybody knows where they are I was going to say we've seen it before there was a spate of Champions League usually yeah, isn't it with, Tuesday Wednesday nights and there was a spate of it being Liverpool players that were targeted yeah. as well for a while yeah like Liverpool are on telly against AC Milan you're like alright oh, so he's in Milan so his house is you know unattended mm. like his wife and kids might be there but you know that's it's just it's such a messed up way of thinking, um, and I feel I feel bad for him now because he's even if he comes back he's going to be thinking and you know he's going to have to spend obviously he's got the money so to to spend on security systems and and guards or whatever if he needs it but he shouldn't need that he shouldn't need to do that and yeah it's uh it's just a bit of a, a bit of a bummer for him really because if they if England go and win the World Cup and Sterling doesn't go back he's going to be like thanks like you've not only have you put the the fear of God into my family for the rest of their lives, probably that'll stick with them for ages. Um, you've also robbed my my World Cup. I was meant to play against Senegal because I'm sure he would have started last night, um, but obviously this happened and he's on a plane home. Mm. It is annoying, sickening. So robbers say. get in the sea. Yeah, scumbags. If you're a burglar listening to this, Jim will fight you. <laughs> <laughs> I, get, I mean. It's difficult though, isn't it? It's because there are always going to be wrongings in the world, mm. and they are being presented with an ideal opportunity where you've got incredibly rich people and clear moments of time where they aren't going to be mm. in their houses. I mean, whether it makes a difference whether they're there or not when people are targeting their homes, I don't know how much of a difference. I suppose it makes them slightly more vulnerable when they're not there. Yeah, but it is beyond them living in a high security environment and getting security guards and cameras and all that kind of thing I'm sure they have elements of that anyway yeah. there's not a lot that can be done about it no not really that's the sad uh, the sad case of it you just you sort of go through life don't you just hoping it never happens to you yeah. just, just off chance like because there's a decent chance of something something happening like just by sort of virtue of like it has to happen to someone you just hope it's not you because that's what uh, that's what everyone sort of mm. fears isn't it sad for Sterling on a personal level, as you say, and also disappointing for England, but we'll talk about the impact it could have on England in a little bit on Football Social Daily. But Joel, what do you want to get into the sea? It's a bit of a lighter one, but it wound me up so much that I, I'm so glad I have this space to get it off my chest right now because on <laughs> that's Thursday... That's what it's here for. That's, I know, that's, that's what, what I mean. It's like, ther- it's like therapy, yeah, therapy football session, therapy, yeah. isn't it? It's great. Yeah. Um, it was on Thursday on ITV's coverage when Spain got beat by Japan 2-1. And if everyone's seen it, I'm sure they have. It looked like the ball had gone over the byline, but in actual fact, it didn't. And clearly, they got the decision right. And despite the fact that Japan had one of the biggest victories in their nation's history against one of the best sides in the tournament at the moment, where if everyone watched the first half, I nearly fell asleep because it looked like Spain were just going to absolutely wipe the floor with them. Just they had about, them to death. I think they had the highest ever percentage rate in a World Cup game since records began. Yeah. I mean, it looked like it was one-way traffic. So for Japan to win that game was a miracle. And then after the game, 
You had Graeme Souness, aka Mr. Conspiracy Theorist, and Gary Neville literally for 20 minutes straight talk about the VAR decision where Gary Neville was saying, you know, FIFA don't give any transparency, like where the broadcasters should give us all the rights to all of these angles. They were shown the angle that FIFA used, which was a Hawkeye right directly down of the byline, which clearly showed that it was in, Mm -hmm. but it just wasn't enough for them. They needed the official image that was shown to the guys at the VAR studios. And literally every single person was tweeting. I was was just going through it while while they were talking. And they were saying, you, you've you been shown the image. Mm-hmm. It shows that it's in. And yet for 20 minutes, I was waiting for them to show Japan's incredible performance. I wanted to see how they got back in the game. And for 20 minutes, they droned on and on and on about a decision that they could clearly see with their own eyes. I saw it in my two eyes that it was in. Do you think, yeah. that, do you think they believed that though? Do you think they genuinely believed that it was a dodgy decision? Or was it just the pressure that is on broadcasters to deliver Phil. content and Phil make yeah, yeah and make stuff that's like well they were trying to make it dramatic weren't it? <laughs> they were trying to make it dramatic but it, there was nothing dramatic at the time it was but it was they got given the easiest angle you could ever see in your life it was there right yeah. in front of them and Graham so you know, was going on about oh I don't know what's going on behind the scenes in this Qatar World Cup you know I mean oh I, who knows what's good like Japan they're, they're the team that everyone's against now because I honestly just look at the screen and then an hour later Gary Neville wouldn't back down tweeted I think yesterday saying um, after he actually looked at the image because I think FIFA released it even though they already got shown it and he said oh well, that's good, but it would have been nice to have like some transparency. Everyone literally was having their heads in their hands, thinking you got shown it in the studio. <laughs> you could see the picture. You could literally see it. I'm sure on a Japanese broadcast, they did not give a crap about mm. that. They were probably showing how miraculous their goals were. Scored two really nice goals, but for us, you know, I feel like the broadcasting in general has been a bit weird with this World Cup, with them selectively not showing certain things and just focusing on issues, not issues, but focusing on things in the game that didn't really matter compared to what we wanted to see. I really wanted to see Japan's performance. Yeah, we had to be forced fed this VAR crap that no one wants to see. One minute segment would have been fine, mm. but it's the fact it was just a constant focus that I think it was very, um, it took away from Japan's performance in my opinion. I think there is an element of broadcasters now, it's not necessarily about the 15 minutes to half an hour that's after a game that's not what they're aiming for in terms of their broadcasting. They're aiming for that two-minute, three-minute clip they can put on social media. There right. is the wildfire clip. fighting with yeah. Roy Keane. That's yeah. the thing that kind of is going to get that attention. And it's almost a way of manufacturing that to try and get these contentious issues and these arguments that then live on social media and kind of work as a promotional tool. And I think that it skews everything, doesn't it, social media? It's like what's happened in politics. People don't talk... If you're a politician now, you don't talk in a five-minute speech about everything you want to achieve, you talk in a 30-second clip over and over again of the one soundbite that you want to be delivered and you want to be having the impact. It's kind of like it impacts everything. And I think there's an element of that I think this. so, yeah. I think, I think you definitely have a point with that because if, you, if they would have just covered the Japan performance, which everyone saw, everyone would have just kind of batted 
couple of eyelids mm. at it, but it was the fact that everyone was talking about it. I think I loved uh, someone's meme where it had the Japan flag with the red dot and it just had a line <laughs> on the right of it just edging out of the uh, red dot. Yeah. Uh, these, these are, like you say, these are the things that come out of it and everyone was responding to them just talking about that. So yeah, yeah it probably is the case, to be fair. I did see some calls saying that there should be additional technology to tell whether a ball crosses the line. Like Are we going to do that for everything, though? Like well, a throw in, a corner? We don't need more technology. No, no, we've already no, got goal line we've technology. Got, we've we've got... currently got a chip in a football, <laughs> and the football needs to be charged before you play a football game with the football. How, how much more technology do we need? You know what I mean? <laughs> what, charged? Yeah, the ball has to be charged before the game. Oh, I saw that. I wasn't, sure the ball. The, I wasn't sure whether that was real or it's, not. Like. It's real. What's in, the, what's in the football that needs charging? Uh, a microchip to tell whether it crosses the, the goal line or... Um, but normal footballs don't need to charging. Help, no, what? to help with the offside thing, you know, that augmented reality offside uh, thing. The semi, semi-automatic semi one. one. Yeah, they've got that. So it's for that, apparently. Yeah, we don't but, need more technology. It's yeah, ima- can you imagine yeah. every single throw-in where it goes to a VAR decision? I'm just like, oh, oh my God, God, shoot me now. <laughs> right, well, my get in the sea is kind of based on social media as well, actually, and the way it's skewing stuff, because it's a bit of a double moan, because I want to have a whinge about people throwing beer around when oh, England score parks. goals. Yeah, stop yeah. it. How has it become a thing that whenever England score goals, it's impossible for fans to hold on to pints and they just get lofted in the and air? They're not now. cheap. No, exactly. It's like eight quid a pint or something yeah, like that, and you're madness. throwing it in the air. And I think it is down to social media clippers, down to those yeah. videos of people in fan parks throwing beer around and these over the top celebrations that happen for no reason other than people want to be social media famous yeah. for a little bit and get their faces shown. That one during the, was it the was it the Euros two years ago? And it looked epic. Like, it was that Camden fan part thing, yeah, wasn't it? and like everyone threw it and it's kind of like, oh, you know, that looks kind of good, but now. But wasn't uh, that for, that was for an actual genuinely exciting moment. I think I it was believe... the Trippier free kick. Yeah. Which the, where, is at, worthy At that point we were winning the fucking World Cup, you know what <laughs> Right, I mean? right. You know? right. <laughs> so yeah, chuck your pint, but third goal goes in against Senegal, you're in a quiet pub and you lob a pint around, you're getting glassed. Was it even well, just that? It was Wales, the Wales yeah, game was, as well. Like, was, the that, games have nothing on them. That was a particular video that I remember seeing was the, it was against the Wales game, it was the third goal that went in and there was a fella and you, you might have seen the video already, he was bottom right of the screen and he stops. They, they score. He stops. He looks around for his pint, <laughs> finds his pint, picks it up and lobs it. And then starts doing this like fist pumping, whoa, going on. And it's like, no one is that interested. No one is that excited by a third goal against Wales in an already dead game yeah. that you want to throw an eight quid pint across the room. And, and also, yeah, it's kind of annoying if you get hit with a pint. Yeah, <laughs> it? no, it's the worst. It has to land somewhere. And at if you get football, hit with a pint, oh my god! At least at football, you know it's beer. So if you get hit with a pint at a gig, oh, you're never quite sure what it is. It's right, more likely right. to be not beer. Yeah, yeah. but at a least different kind of yellow. Is, you're pretty sure it's going to be actual beer. Yeah. So well, do they both taste like Fosters. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> I think it just needs to stop. Basically, the over exuberant celebrating needs to stop. Not least because if England do go deep into this World Cup, if we do get to the final, for example. And there's a winning goal, a trippier free kick. Oh, you could pour a keg on me. Where are you going to go? It's like, what, what level are you going to go to? It's like, you're going to spontaneously combust or something like that. There's, just no, there's no levels there. So stop it. Even if you're being filmed for social media, no one needs to see it. You're just making yourself look like a bellend. So that is my moan for today. Get in the sea, England fans throwing pints at fan parks. Right, we are going to get stuck into the England game next. England 3, Senegal nil. England through to the quarterfinals of the World Cup. We'll talk about it next. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily. Let's get stuck into the game. England 3, Senegal 0. Another 3-0 win for England. The second of this tournament, Marley. 12 goals in four games now for England. So do we need to stop talking about England and Southgate being boring and pragmatic? Because they're scoring for fun. Um, Probably, yeah. Um, it's... It's it's a weird balance, isn't it? Because like we've not played anyone amazing yet, um, and people will remember more of the USA game than than the other three, just yeah. because it's the English culture to look at the crap stuff and remember that and go, oh, remember when we were rubbish against USA, rather than remember when we destroyed Iran six two and then you know smashed Wales, smashed Senegal. It's you know it's a it's a different uh, type of culture that we have that where we sort of focus on the negatives a bit, I think, but. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the talent and the the sort of level of skill in the squad is is coming to the fore. I think you know we've we've blew teams away. And reading it just today, Declan Rice saying, um, done an interview saying he doesn't think we're getting the respect mm. that uh, the other teams do. When other teams smash smash a team three 0 everyone goes, buddy, oh, they look good. Um, but when it's England, it's a bit like, ah, oh, right, it's only it's only Iran, it's only Wales, it's only Senegal, but. I suppose that can get frustrating, but you know it's it's that thing where until we play Fra- like France is such a huge game because I think there's only two teams in the in the world that I would fear as in as in I don't think we're going to beat them. One's France and one's Brazil. So it's a bit mm. disappointing that we're getting France this early because I feel like you, in most tournaments you can get to the semis before you get a France. It feels Just, like a potential final, doesn't it? England yeah. versus France. And I think if you beat them. That becomes like you should then win the World Cup if you beat France in the quarters. You should you should win the World Cup. It's it's that simple, really. But it's it's one of them like it's you know um, it's just the sort of proof has to be in the pudding. You know, if you, you've got to beat a top team before people go right. And I, I was wanting thinking we can win the World Cup with an outside chance. To now we we have to we are a top team now. If we can go and beat France in a World Cup quarter final, that's that's huge. That uh, that's a turning point for you again. I mean, it was a another high scoring game, but then the pragmatic thing comes from I was looking at the squad before the match, and it was Jordan Henderson, it was Declan Rice, and it was Bellingham in midfield, mm. and it was like there didn't appear to be a great deal of attacking ambition in there. Mm. So I do wonder whether it's. I mean, it's certainly Gareth Southgate is putting defensive football first, not conceding first. 
but I wonder whether it is the quality of the teams that we've come up against that's allowed the goal scorers to kind of score without maybe necessarily the kind of attacking support we'd like to see. So I don't know whether we can really get rid of the pragmatic title yet. Because yeah. like you said, we've not been tested hugely yet. And surely against France... I can see us going to a back five against France. Yeah, yeah it's going to be a containment job, isn't it? Maybe, yeah. Um, but we'll, you know, if it works, mm. if it works, it works, you know, and, and everyone wins and everyone's happy and Southgate's in the running for manager of the year and all sorts of stuff and that's how it'll go. But it's... Uh, you don't find out until you you play them, and then you know that's what happens in that ninety minutes is uh, is is the, the the thing that everyone remembers. Because yeah. if we lose three one to France, you know, but oh, Southgate's too defensive, and you know we should have attacked them more and and what have you. But in reality, if we lose to France, it's because they're class, the reigning world champions. They've got what probably the best young player in the world, um, and you know they've got. They could they could field France A, B, and C and reach the last four of a World Cup conceivably. They they are that good. You've got as Marley says, Declan Rice saying Joel that England have not had the respect they deserve. Do you think we underestimated them going a bit into this tournament? Because I didn't feel very optimistic about England's chances, and now I'm kind of feeling quite bullish about the possibility of getting through against France in the quarters. I remember when we talked about it in June, because England were just off the back of that really bad Nations League run where they yeah. drew three, lost two, lost 4 nil to Hungary. It felt like that feel-good factor from the two tournaments was fading a little bit. I didn't feel it. It felt like the nation was almost going against the national team again in Southgate's decisions and his picks. But I remember us saying, you know, it was at the end of a very, very long season where they had to play these games in June, mid-June. The players were done. Like, they were so done with that season. They just couldn't wait to get on holiday to the Bahamas and just cancel the whole season. Mm. So it wasn't really a representative time period for the England squad. But now the stakes are high and they can almost smell the finish line. I really don't buy into this pragmatic comment that people are making about the team because... When you look at the stat that they've scored more goals in the last two World Cups combined than 94, 98, 2002, 2006, 2010, 2014 together, they're controlling games. I would say not take it for granted because we've seen in so many tournaments gone by where England have struggled against the worst teams we've seen. The Algeria one always sticks out in my mind because we had a pretty decent squad, not the best squad in 2010, but a decent squad. But it's games like that where this team would have smashed them like 6-0 or something. They, they yeah. would have been head and shoulders above them. Yeah. yeah, I felt like England in every major tournament, they would go into it like a deer in headlights. They would feel the massive pressure from the nation. Mm -hmm. There was no togetherness in the squads at all. Now it just feels like we can take anyone on now. And I, I enjoy yeah. that. And when I, I get everyone's criticism of the USA game, but let's not get it twisted as well. We're against the African champions just mm. yesterday. They're not an easy team to play at all. And the fact that they completely controlled them. I want to say control. I don't want to say it's boring, pragmatic. They controlled the game. I thought it was really professional. And the fact that we're going in against France, I truly don't believe they have much to fear against France. And that's only because I don't even think France have been incredible in the group stages. They've had to really... If you look at the heat map that I saw yesterday when France just recently played in their last game, it was very, very centric onto the left side. It's almost like Ousmane Dembele. They don't trust on the, on the right <laughs> side. It's Everything is down the left channel. Yeah. Um, so Kyle well, Walker's going to have a big game. When you've got Mbappe, though, it's like... I mean, yeah, it's just everything goes through him, and it's, that's certainly been the case. It's justified, but then I don't see massive strength through 
throughout the team. I think they're pretty decent defensively, but I still think they can be got at 100%. Mm. Yeah. I don't think this team's as good as the 2018 team for sure. I think the midfield's weaker than that team by far without Pogba and Kante. So on paper, yeah, everyone says world champions. In their mind, mentally, they seem like an impossible feat to beat. But I, I really hope the England team go into this feeling like they're as much of a favourite as they are. Mm. And I think Gareth Southgate can't be seen as pragmatic because he's going four at the back now. And if he goes four at the back against France, he truly believes in his attacking players, which I think you've got to give credit for. Because yeah. if he goes to a three back, like you just said before, we'll all be saying at the end of the game, why didn't you attack? Why didn't you play four at the back? We have so many good players that could outplay them. So yeah. I think for me, you, I'm 100% in agreement with Declan Rice. Give them the credit because we know in tournaments gone by how much disappointment we felt when they go out in the group stages or the last 16. Like, go and attack them. There's nothing to fear, in my opinion. I think we'll talk about how England can potentially combat France in a little bit. We'll do a proper preview closer yeah. to the game, but a few initial thoughts, and I think you're right. I think it's a Kyle Walker game. It's not a Trippier game. You put him at right back, and then you play four at the back, but then you position Declan Rice. You say, right, your job is protect the fullback. Yeah, shift to the like right. You push well, to the I, right. You double up on Mbappe. I was going to say, I think, I think it's a game where Henderson will start because Henderson, week in week out, helps Trent every week. Yeah, and it's like if if you want to protect your right back, you play Henderson on that side of the pitch, and you just say, you know, if Mbappe is going at Walker, and he looks like he's in trouble, just boot him before he gets there. Just, <laughs> just, just trip him. <laughs> just, you know, we'll we'll bring on another centre midfielder and he'll trip him as well. <laughs> we'll just keep doing that or something. But yeah, I think it's I think it's one for. Southgate, and we'll we'll see we'll see his thinking, won't we? As soon as that team lineup comes out, and it's either a four or a five at the back, we'll be able to see what he truly believes in his uh, his squad. I mean, the, the the team he played against Senegal last night, you can see how that would work. Although maybe giving the players slightly different roles against France, and one of the standout performers last night has to be Jude Bellingham. Jesus, I think yeah. he's. He's ridiculous. Yeah, his he's game last too, night was being heralded as the one. best midfield performance of the World Cup so far. Do you reckon it's worthy of that accolade? Of yeah, of this World Cup so far, yeah, yeah. of course, yeah. Um, I think is uh, I'm struggling to, to think of another one um, in terms of individual performance and maybe him again <laughs> against uh, in the first game. Yeah, against. I mean, then again, it, it was only Iran sort of thing, so. Yeah, he's uh, he, he's just a breath of fresh air, isn't he? Because he's just there's there's periods in every um, careers, every player's career where they're at that perfect age where they they've got all the talent and they've got the fearlessness. And Foden's got it at the minute, and he has had it for a couple of years. And Bellingham's got it at the minute. We've seen it with players in the past, like um, Rooney and uh, like pretty pretty much anyone. Sterling, they all mm. had that fearlessness at first, and then they sort of tail off. And become a bit, a bit safer in their old older age. So you've got to sort of use, use sort of strike while the iron's hot with with players like Bellingham because well, just, what I think just go him, out and play, and he just he, does he's, it. He's bold and confident, but he always seems to make the right decision. Mm. It's like he doesn't give the ball away cheaply at any point in the game, which is exactly what you want from a player in his role that's kind of doing that box to box midfieldery role. Yeah, he just seems to have this incredible footballing brain as well as the physical attributes. Yeah, he's and he's massive. He's like six foot one, six foot. He's Big lad, so he can he can mix it if you know if if he gets into you look at like Foden for example, and sometimes Foden can be like just shoulder barged off the ball or something because he's ten stone wet through. But you look at Bellingham, you think Christ, built like a middleweight boxer, like mm-hmm. 
He's he's six foot one, six foot two, fast stamina. You know, runs like he's, you know, like a kid's had a fizzy pop and just runs around the pitch. <laughs> Fragging hell, horrendous to play against. God knows where he's going to end up. But if it's City, we might as well just start a new league. <laughs> well, what do you reckon? I, I was I was thinking, could we end up seeing Bellingham and Declan Rice going to City next season, taking that England midfield and transporting it into God, that with Haaland up front and whatever else is going on. I think we should spread them all out just for, for <laughs> fair and fairness of competition. Get Rice to Chelsea, and get um, you probably have to give Bellingham to Liverpool to give them give them a chance to get back. It needs like City, some kind of draft you can have system, doesn't Harland. it? Yeah, yeah. Wolves will end up with Henderson or something like that. Incidentally, Jude Bellingham is the first player under twenty to score an assist in a World Cup since Lionel Messi did it. When Lionel what Messi did it him? at the age of twenty, Bellingham was three. Wow. So it just proves Bellingham's better than Messi, really. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> who else impressed you, Joel, last night for England? There were a lot of standout performances, but who do you think did themselves a lot of favours? Yeah, it's, it's. I think you have to look at the defence. I think a lot of people, especially, you know, Maguire and Shaw, they've come into this tournament in pretty crap form, to be honest, mm. especially Maguire, who hasn't even basically played all season. Shaw's been in and out because Malassia started way better than him at the start of the season. And those two, they're just such international players. I feel like the international football scene suits their game so much. It's a little bit slower. There's a little bit more time on the ball. And I just think in this England setup, especially Maguire, I mean, when you watch Maguire, I sometimes forget why United probably paid 80 million. It's kind of justified when you watch him play for England because he's so assured. He commands the bat four really well, doesn't get beat in the air once. And I just think for the fact that they had so much criticism going into it, they've both been, again, standout performers like they were in the Euros where they were in the team of the tournament. And they've basically carried that form into this mm. one, which has been massively impressive, I think. But, you know, with Bellingham, he just it reminds me of when Rooney was in that Euro 2004 tournament when he played against France. Potentially we'll have another remake of that. But Rooney really took that game like he was playing on... Croxteth Green and he was just playing with his mates didn't care if it was Zidane or Vieira in front of him he was getting his body in the line showed no respect to any of them and that's what you need I feel like like you just said Marley I feel like when you get, get older as a footballer mm. you probably show a little bit too much respect to the players that you're opposing against whereas with Bellingham he probably looks at him and thinks I'm better than these guys I want to make my mark on this tournament so I can put I can put my name in the history books if I just play how I want to play whereas I think a lot of the older ones probably are a little bit calculated when they go into these kind of games and I just hope Bellingham in the next one just continues to have that mentality because I think it rubs off on everyone else when you want to give it to some of the best players in the world suddenly they're no longer the best players in the world they're just human mm. and you're as good as them on the day regardless mm. if you want it more this is his tournament if he wants it to be I'm very excited about what happens next for England as well just looking at some of the yeah. performances last night in terms of <laughs> Foden Rice Saka Bellingham also Kane by the way well, I, I'm just talking about in terms of like four years' time. Oh, for the, the progression. For the next yeah. World Cup. It's like we've got incredible young players now mm. who will be something else by the time we get to that next tournament. And it's a very English thing to keep on getting excited about the future rather than the present. <laughs> but I do think it looks exciting and promising for England going forward. So it is France next in the quarters. Do you think England can put something together? Do you think they've got a chance? Is it what we've talked about? It's all about 
closing down and containing Mbappe and then the rest sorts itself out and letting England's forward line do what they do? Well, you know what I said after the Iran game? I know I wasn't getting ahead of myself because I saw it. I said, I reckon we could go toe-to-toe for France. I even said it on the podcast and everyone laughed at me. I still think we can. And it's purely like I say, I just don't think there's so much to fear with France. It's not like they have outlets everywhere, if that makes sense. I know Zman Dembele is a really talented player, but he's not prolific. Yeah, and um, like you said before, they don't go through him. Right, like, they, so they avoid if, him Because they're all going down the left. If you can lock down the left, are they... Um, are they? Do they know how to? Have they got a plan B? Basically, can pretty, if pretty if you, if they if Mbappe gets marked out of the game, there's no space for him. Can, will they go to Dembele and be like, <laughs> you know what, Usman's really good. <laughs> we'll give him the ball. It's just, and then if they do that, Mbappe probably like he's been kicking off, hasn't he, at PSG? Yeah. He's not getting the ball. He's not getting penalties and whatever. And he's sporting director and striker all in one now. So, will he will he throw his pram, toys out the pram a little bit and? You know, there's there's more. Yeah, I'm. I agree. I think there's more to England than than there is to. That's what I mean. I don't France. think we should look at it as um, a defeatist mentality. We need to protect. How about it? We've got enough to hurt their defense. Mm-hmm. I think. I think Kane's way smarter. Um, into we're forgetting Harry Kane's one of the best strikers in the world, top three easily, and his performance yesterday proved it. His link up play was ridiculously good. And I think he'll cause so many problems to, don't want to say because Rafa Varane's my boy, but, you know, I think he'll cause him a few problems um, on Saturday. But like Marley said, I think if they can keep that Mbappe threat sterile and they can, because Walker's not a slow guy. Mm. Maybe he's lost a little bit of pace because he's had a lot of uh, bad injuries recently, but he's probably the best defender, I would say, in the tournament who can probably mark Mbappe out of a game, I think. And obviously Giroud up against Maguire. Fast probably as well, Maguire. Which is yeah. when you're This is what I mean, Mbappe. against Mbappe, pace is everything he kills with his pace. And I think with Giroud, very underrated again, but I think Maguire and Stones have got enough aerial threat and physicality to deal with him because he can be a bit of a handful too. Yeah. So um, I think in this game, the key is going to be midfield, to be honest. If we can lock the midfield um, and dominate, you know, Shuameni, and uh, Rabio, which I didn't think I'd be saying <laughs> because they had a pretty good tournament. I think then that would be the key to winning mm. the game. In terms of Raheem Sterling, Marley, we've all talked about him and he's gone, left the England, second England player to go home from the tournament following Ben White. He may or may not come back for the France game, we don't know. Mm. How much of a loss is he to England if he doesn't come back for that game? Because, I mean, it is one of the positions where England are relatively blessed in terms of alternatives if he doesn't come back. Yeah, I, I think as... It's not that much of a blow, I don't think, because I think all our wingers have, have scored goals at the at the tournament. You know, Foden's um, probably the biggest beneficiary of of Sterling not being around, and you know he played quality against uh, against Wales, and then he played good against Senegal last night as well. So I don't think England are that uh, weakened by Sterling's loss, because I think even on form, you know, Sterling scored in the first game, and that was that was fine, but. I think Saka's been in better form, um, Foden and Rashford as well. So if you're looking at that, you're probably saying Sterling's like fourth choice winger, but his experience is massive. Mm. Um, and his sort of big game, he's played in big games before. So if you put Sterling in against France, you would be pretty confident he'd have uh, he'd have a decent game. And he, he has tended to be better for England than he has in, for his club over the last couple of years as well. So um, I think from an experience point of view, it's a bit of a blow, but... In terms of talent, I'd, I don't think I wouldn't have picked him on form because it's too harsh to drop um, Foden, Rashford, or or Saka, um, especially Rashford. I thought he should have started last night, but 
you know, Senegal didn't have enough to, to touch what we had anyway. So it's a great option it was, off the bench, though, isn't it? In yeah. terms of his pace against the um, tiring defence. Mm. Yeah. He kills that, his pace. Yeah. And he's physical. He's, been, he's another big lad. You don't realise how big he is. He's like six foot two. Yeah, like, he's you know, big. He's, you can stand across up to the back post. He might he might just head it in like he has been for Man U this season. But that's the that's the confidence there. We have options, which is yeah. nice. Whereas in other tournaments, you know, we had like Upson on the bench or Emil Eski. <laughs> no shade to those guys. But, I mean, oh, come on, put, don't put some respect. No, on I mean Eski. Eski. Early on, I know I I want to put respect on Eski because he got killed. His reputation was killed, but in his later days. I mean, I don't want him off the bench. I was watching um, the highlights of the Friday night games when I got in um, on Friday, and uh, Matthew Upson was was talking with like he was he was the pundit, and Mark Chapman was presenting. And all I can think of with Matt Upson is that it just when I think of Upson, it's that 2010 game against Germany yeah. with the Lampard goal because he had a f- disaster class. He was awful that game, literally. And I remember thinking, you need to retire. And then I think he did after that tournament as well. So I was like, oh, thank God for that. Well, next up for England is France in the quarterfinals. 7 pm kickoff, Saturday, 10th of December. Cancel your plans, it's coming home. Right, we're going to talk about the back pages of the papers next because the transfer window will be opening in around 25, I think it might even 26 days. And there's some interesting rumours doing the rounds. We'll talk about it next. This podcast is a sports social production. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Listen to the latest Premier League news, updates and match reports now. Just ask Open Sports Social. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily. Transfer gossip time. Doesn't feel like the transfer window is going to open in about four weeks, but that's exactly what's happening. And I think maybe... The kind of rumours and whispers are a little bit thinner on the ground than normal because all the journalists are focusing on what's going on in Qatar rather than what might be happening come the Jantry transfer window opening. But there's some interesting stuff to talk about. Going to start in the sun where there is a report that Cody Gakpo could be a target for Manchester United, Joel, in January based on his World Cup performances. You've obviously said before that you don't think Manchester United are looking at the right kind of player to solve their striking options. Is Gakpo the right kind of player? He has the same characteristics <laughs> as Rashford. He just reminds me so much the way he plays, the way he strikes the ball. I think Rashford's way more electric than him, but he just he, he just has such a similar stature. And I can only think that if Tenar goes for him, it's because he wants to convert him into a striker. Because there's literally no room on the wing on the wings for him to actually play. Obviously he was really close to coming in the summer. Gakpo even said himself that he was really close, but I think United were basically keeping him on standby if they didn't get Anthony, <laughs> which they ended up getting. So I don't know if they're going to go back in for him. It feels like it's a natural progression to United actually going for him. And I've always been so wary of clubs buying players on the back of great tournaments mm. because, like I've always said, you know, seven games for your country is very different to 38 games for your club in terms of motivation and incentives. So 
the Andre Arshavin uh, Le- Oh, the thing. best example. Hamas Rodriguez, one of the best examples of that. <laughs> but Cody, uh, Cody Gappo, what he has got under him is that he's been very consistent for two seasons straight now. But he's got nine goals and 14 assists in just 12 games, which is incredible. Um, joint, uh, second joint top scorer in the World Cup this season. There's going to be a lot of teams in for him. If we don't get him, I'm not going to be massively disappointed because like I say I don't feel like he offers a massive difference although he's very very clinical which we are lacking and the fact that Ronaldo's left I mean Mm. there's a huge gaping hole in our squad at the moment if he can convert into a striker I'd be all for it but I just I think you're don't know. Off spending the money on a proper striker. This is what I'm saying. Going, yeah, like oh, we'll, we'll convert him. Why not? Why convert? We him? We need a guarantee. Why? I want a prolific striker to... now. Ten Hag seems can't to get... refuse to sign anyone that's not Dutch, though. That's the problem. <laughs> it's, <as well>. work, <laughs> it's working. I mean, yeah. you know, the fact that Martinez has been one of Argentina's best players in the tournament, and he started off being benched mm. for aging Otamendi. Um, he was going to go for Jurian Timber, who Van Gaal basically guilt-tripped him into not going so he could start in the World Cup. I mean, clearly he has an eye for talent and he knows what he wants and what characteristics he wants for the team. So I would never be against him on that. I just don't know, like Marley said, if it's right to try and convert someone who's not naturally a, a, a natural centre-forward rather I, than going for like for example. Ivan Tony would be perfect, as long as this band doesn't... Yeah, let's like see. If he gets the gambling ban, how long that'll last, we don't know. But I think it'd be perfect for Man U. Like, he can hold it up. English, um, which is a, a thing. <laughs> it's always <laughs> nice Always nice when you've got an English striker up front because it'll help his international chances as well, I think, if yeah. he's playing for Man U. So. But I think there's a massive asterisk on that at the moment yeah. in terms of what happens next. Yeah. I think with Gakpo, it's never a surefire thing. He, either taking a player who's performed well in the Eredivisie and bringing him to the Premier League, it's they 50, are different 50 with those guys. Yeah, it's for every Van Nistelrooy, there's a Matea Kesman in there. Like, <laughs> yeah, literally madness. <laughs> I think, I think Kesman. I always remember Kesman outscored Van Nistelrooy at PSV. Van Nistelrooy came to the Prem and smashed it. I think he got 96 goals or something. Kesman got about eight. <laughs> well, <laughs> only if everything he did was. I think he scored in the League Cup final for Chelsea in 2008 or something like that. It's that the flip of a it. coin with Dutch league players, isn't it's it? Mental. The flip of a coin. Yeah. 50 million is the price tag, apparently, which is double what PSV wanted when you were going to sign him in the summer. Welcome to Manchester United. We lied to overpay. Yeah, it's gone up in <laughs> Free value. money for everyone. Uh, we're going to turn our attention to Spain now. Spanish media reporting that a whole host of Premier League sides are chasing the 23-year-old Brazilian and Atletico Madrid striker Matias Cunha. Everton, Leeds, Villa, Wolves all interested. I'm going to turn to your... Decent knowledge of European football now, Marley. What do you know about Matthias Kuna? Um, he's he's basically a, a pretty sort of um, typical Brazilian striker. Bit like reminds me a bit of like Firmino um, in the fact that he's kind of uh, like skillful. He's not a proper proper centre forward. He's like a sort of a second striker, like a supporting style striker. He won't be on the last man trying to nick goals like Jesus, for example. But he's He's a bit more skillful, likes to create. Um, he's got some ridiculous goals. If you look at his, uh, if you made a, a list of his, um, you know, like uh, highlights, you could probably convince, you know, kids in the future that he was the best player to have ever played football because he's, he does some mad things. He, he scored a goal for uh, Leipzig a couple of years ago where he, he was running between two defenders and he did, you know, like a, the pirouette where you stand on the ball and you do a spin and you drag it yeah, yeah. with your other foot. And then he dinked the goalkeeper, um, and that sort of that was the first time I'd sort of heard of him. But he's gone to Atletico, and he's, he's one of them where he's not quite 
Atletico have got a few strikers. Jao Felix is obviously not really fitted in there as well as he could, and Griezmann was there for a bit, and Kuhn is there, and it's. I think they they're happy to cash in on him now, but the 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 level of club he's being linked with is is key for me. Like what the club Wolves, Villa, you know, a couple of others. Leeds. Yeah, they're, they're not they're not top clubs, are they? They're not Spurs. They're not. They're all Liverpool. clubs that are willing to take a chance on a player. I think yeah. it's fair to say. Yeah, and I think he's. I don't, I don't think he's consistent enough to be um, to be a top like top four striker. He'd be a squad player like at Liverpool or Chelsea or whatever. But yeah, I mean, if you're going to hang your hat on him, the price you got to pay would be uh, would be a bit of a gamble for me. You mentioned Gabriel Jesus. Then, by the way, there's rumours that he could be out for three months following his knee injury from the World Cup. So Arsenal are going to have. What some did I say, there. Jim? Before really? don't count you go don't count your chickens before they've hatched. What? <laughs> yeah, with Arsenal's um, chances. Oh, I see. I okay. always said before the World Cup, wait until after the World Cup because there could be some big injuries and yeah. he'd be such a blow to their side. Yeah, completely. They uh, need to sign someone new now in January if, if that's well, the case. Apparently, Arsenal have got £50 million to spend, but Arteta doesn't want to buy a striker. So he what obviously he thinks he's got plenty of other options. Oh, God. But where Martinelli up front, maybe? Yeah. He's quality. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's, he's probably the maybe that's maybe he's going to get his chance. Uh, anyway, final bit of gossip <coughs> around the future of Yuri Tielemans. Um, always rumours around the future of Yuri Tielemans. He's out of contract at the end of the season at Leicester. Marcel in Spain are reporting that Barcelona see Tielemans as the long-term replacement for Sergio Busquets. Hey? I mean, are these that's players are they in the same league? Bizarre comparison. Yeah. They're different players, aren't they? Like Tielemans is a bit box to box, and Busquets will just sit there and Busquets doesn't move. <laughs> yeah, he, but he's that good; he doesn't have to yeah, move. Like, that's insane. Like he's like an artist brush. Watching yeah. him play, as long as you don't watch him try and win a foul because he's well annoying and he, just, he flops like a. He knows how to play the game. Yeah, he's oh. uh, he's quality, but they're not the same type of player at all. But Tielemans is definitely going. I was going to say, do you think that's it for Leicester? I mean, whether hundred percent Tielemans goes to Barcelona or not. His contract's up. He said he wants to leave, pretty much. So, is that it? He's gone. Probably not in January, but probably at the end of the season. Nice, big, fat signing on fee to go somewhere else. Yeah, it's 100% the case. I think it's been rumbling for like the last two years now, hasn't it? Where he's not signed a contract. I think Arsenal might have tried to dip and sign him on the cheap in the summer, but it just didn't work out. I will probably hedge my bets on... Arsenal being the favourites just because they do need a few more midfield options because El Nene is probably going to be going. Uh, Thomas Partey, I don't think you can rely on him in terms of his fitness. I don't see him as a top, top quality midfielder though. I know everyone really hypes him up to be someone who could really make a claim in a top side. But for me, you know, every time I see him play, I just feel as though his level is... It's definitely not Barcelona. I don't know why Marco are comparing him to Busquets. I mean, put some respect on Busquets' name. He's probably one of the best ever players to do it in that position. Like Everyone calls it the Makaleli role. I want to call it the Busquets role because I think he wiped the floor with him in terms of how effective he is in that position. But yeah, T. Lehmann's, um I genuinely don't know what kind of club he is at in terms of his level. I don't know if Arsenal's too much for him, but I also think that Leicester's a little bit too less so I'm trying to find a middle ground. It feels like he needs that step up to prove himself at the next yeah. level. But yeah. at the same time, there's no guarantee that he will be able to perform at an Arsenal or Manchester United kind of in those kind mm. of teams. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. But it's a risk you would take. Because I, I think he would. I think he'd do 
do well there. I think he'd, he'd step in. I think, he, to be fair, I think Leicester have done well to keep him for, for about four years now. He's been there, something like that, three, four years. Mm. So I think he's. Um, I think he came from Monaco, I think. So he was already at like a sort of on the verge that was of a good European side top well. side. Yeah, yeah. Um, they had Chouameni and stuff as yeah, well. Yeah. And uh, a few others as well. But um, he's... He's, I think he's class. Um, I think he'd he'd fit in. I can't see him going to Barcelona, but Barcelona do random things, <laughs> right? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like yeah, they it, could pick anyone up, and like they're, apparently they're selling Frank Kessie. They only signed him in the summer, and they went through so much uh, hassle to get him. <laughs> f- yeah, financial chests <laughs> to Levers get him, and, and now sorts, they want yeah. ten million apparently for him to go. It's bizarre. He'd be a great signing Strange for club. anyone as well. So yeah. Don't rule our Barca, I guess, because yeah. anyone can get signed. Madden's a mess of a football club at the moment. <laughs> right. It's yeah. all over the shop. <laughs> right, that is it for today's Football Social Daily. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back later in the week with another World Cup update. We will, of course, be back ahead of England versus France as well. We'll have a preview show this coming Friday. So we'll see you then. Don't forget to subscribe and follow so you never miss an episode. And we'll see you next time.